information influences our capabilities, our opportunities, our interests, and our potential. But we are not in control of this information and are influenced by those who control it. Movement is underway to move these controls and influence to the user. What is possible when we are connected and in control? This is the quest. This is the emergence. Welcome to The Emergence, a podcast asking the question, what is possible when we are connected and in control? On today's episode, I am joined by cybernetician Javier Livas Cantu to talk about the role of cybernetics within the scope of The Emergence through the eyes of this podcast. But before I bring on Javier, I'd like to give a brief rundown on why I wanted to bring a cybernetician onto The Emergence. A year or so ago, a friend of my son's turned me on to Stafford Beer, who had developed a program called CyberSign in the early 70s to construct a distributed support system to aid in the management of the Chilean economy. The program ultimately failed as the Chilean government was overthrown by a dictator, but what struck me was the approach behind the project through a form of scientific study called cybernetics, which I have learned helps find purpose within systems of machines and living things. The word cybernetics is actually from a Greek term, which means to steer, which I figured in the eyes of the emergence could be a powerful tool set to consider when aligning theories with technologies to help people emerge from within society to become their more resonant selves, as well as serving their communities more fully. Do we grow by allowing systems of business and government to continue to assign purpose in how we consume information, goods, and services, and how we expend our labor? Or is it better for society if we, the people, take the reins of the purpose to drive systems rather than be driven by them? I will admit my understanding of cybernetics is still fairly raw, which is a reason for bringing on a cybernetician to engage with, as there is something compelling about the notion of identifying variables and feedback within systems to help move systems forward. Something I believe the developers of technology, technology I talk about in the emergence, such as the solid framework, blockchain technologies, decentralized artificial intelligence, and the myriad of applications on the horizon to tap into human potential may find useful. It is my belief that now is the time to move from theories to bold experimentation, to find funding sources to back technologies that break the mold of simple profit motives or grandiose gestures of changing the world, to specific implementations of technology to inject purpose into the components of the system of life, which are the people to get people shovels to dig for their own purpose to in turn strengthen systems that are relying on them. Cybernetics might not be the shovel, but I wonder if it might potentially serve as a design for a better shovel. With this, I'd like to bring on Javier Libas Cantu, who I discovered through his YouTube channel, which I will link to in the program notes. And uh, just to let you in the program notes, I'm gonna cite some specific videos that I've, I found with him. And so I'm gonna put those in there as well. So you guys can dig into his, his wonderful content. So. Javier, without further, further ado, uh, welcome, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name okay. Javier Livas. Yeah. Oh, Livas. Okay, okay. Livas. And, so, and, and in Chile, it was called CyberSyn. CyberSyn. Okay. okay, okay. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, well, to start out, could I just ask you about your background and what led you to cybernetics? Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, well, I studied law, and then I, I studied... At the same time, I was studying uh, management and did an MBA after I finished law school. And by the time I already, I had a lot of questions about how to relate law and cybernetics, given that cybernetics is the law of control 
and laws are about controlling people. So to make a long story short, eventually I, I uh, met Stafford Beer and it turned out that his viable system model maps perfectly or almost perfectly with the nation state, you know? It turned out, and this was very interesting uh, discovery, that the American constitution as, and so the Mexican constitution is uh, a recursive system. It is a control system and, and it, it maps perfectly with the VSM because of the recursion principle, because of the homeostatic nature of the controls where you are not trying to, to think linearly, but you're trying to set equilibriums, okay? So the uh, Constitution of the United States is a balanced homeostatic uh, control system, okay? And yes. this, as a cybernetician and as, a, as, a, as an attorney, it turned out very interesting for me. So eventually I met Stafford, we became friends, and during many, many, many years, and I had heard about his experiment in Chile, which was frustrated because of the coup. And I invited him to Mexico. He was here for a good part of 1983. And I saw him every day for many, many, many days. And we talked about everything. And I learned a lot about him, about him, from him, that is. So um, now I say that I'm a cybernetician because I... I, I learned how to think as a cybernetician. You are not looking at linear processes, you're looking at systems. And what is important about systems? Well, the first lesson I learned is that systems are relative to the observer. You as the observer are the king. I can say this, this pair of glasses is a system. Well, then it's, I have the burden of proof, okay? Why do I say it's a system? Well, it's a system for, for reading better so I can see the, the print better, you know. So, so a system has some internal coherence, and, but usually we, use, we talk about systems when they are very complex, okay? Yes. We can say that a, 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 a hammer and nails are, are a system, but we really use systems to describe things that are beyond a simple explanation, okay? Where you have to model and keep those variables that make sense and discard those that don't. And then it's up to you to prove that this becomes a system, okay? Yes. Now, the other thing that I learned is that um, because of the Macy Foundation meetings, in, in most of them in New York, just after the war from 1946 to 1953, that's where you had the big bang of the information age. And what all the scientists that were gathered there at the Macy Foundation, they all chipped in to create this new science of cybernetics. So you had mathematicians, computer experts, you had electrical engineers, you had sociologists, psychologists, all sorts of people in there, and all of them uh, making a contribution to cybernetics. 
Now, cybernetics changed the world, but then the world forgot about cybernetics and we've been distracted by the computers. So many people think that cybernetics is about computers. Well, no, that's just one of the many aspects of cybernetics. You have artificial intelligence, you have neuroscience, uh, you have a lot of the sociology was redesigned to take in consideration feedback, which was the main main idea behind cybernetics. Okay. So that sort of gives you the idea of why I was so interested. It, it has changed the world and, and we still need it a lot. And as you would say, we could use it to break the mold because we're stuck in this game between capitalism and socialism. And uh, Stafford used to say that it's not about isms. It's about how nature works and how we as part of nature have to find a way to adapt to nature and not try to control nature, just try to work with nature. Oh, that's, that's profound. That really is. And the, the thing about the isms is so true about everything's an ideology now, which is, seems to be so polarizing. And um, very much. And that's one, one thing I've noticed is that uh, I, I was searching after I found uh, Stafford beer. I was just, it was funny because this friend of my son's had told me about this about a year ago and I was researching everything else for launching my podcast. So I didn't really pay attention to it. I just kind of read it a little bit and I thought, okay, it might be interesting. And then he kept on asking me about it if I'd read about it. And I said, no. So I finally gave in. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this existed. Uh, cybernetics. I didn't know about Stafford beer. Uh, you know, all the research I've been doing, I missed over it. So it seems like it is something that is in a little bit of a time warp that is, has disappeared. But it, to me and what I've been reading and discovering you and Stafford beer, that it is very significant because of uh, I'm, I'm really into technology. So I, you know, I'm, I'm into the, what Tim Berners-Lee is doing with a solid framework and, and uh, Ben Gertzel's doing with decentralized artificial intelligence. But with the emergence, when I was really digging into this is that there's something beyond that. It's not about the technology, it, but it's not about the ideology either, because that gets us where we always have been. <laughs> it, it's, it's not about the isms. It's, it's about the tools. And that's why I keep on using a spade and a shovel in, in a lot of my references. And, and I actually just came up with that last night about the fact of cybernetics could be the design of a better tool um, because I don't want to rely on technology, just like I don't want to necessarily rely on the base of human existence because, you know, some of us use our primal brains um, and technology to date to me, I believe is built more to tap into our, uh, our lizard brain, our primal brains, not the frontal cortex. So, uh, you know, just a reliance on tools is not, not the answer, but you know, my thing is, and what really struck me about cybernetics is one word feedback. And I think that if we could gather better feedback and put it back into this loop, as opposed to being a closed feed lab, uh, feedback loop, it could be an open loop to help educate systems and then bring people into better systems. So can you tell me a little bit about the, on the fact on the cybernetics on, on feedback and how that really uh, struck you and maybe with, with uh, Stafford Beer and, and maybe some of the, the challenges he had in the Chilean government with, with well, limited feedback? Yes, one, one of the... Um challenges, one of the problems we have with feedback is that the word feedback has been misused by the popular uh, use, okay? They, people will say, 
oh, I got feedback from my friend because of my book, you know. Well, that's the way people use it every day, like, like a response to what something you did, okay? But actually feedback is built into the system. Feedback, the, the true feedback is a continuous function that takes part of the output and feeds it back to the input. And then you create some sort of equilibrium because systems usually have, uh, let's say goal getting systems have a positive feedback, which is an accelerated loop. Let's say the source of energy in your car. Okay. Yes. The, the gasoline and the motor. And then you have the, the feedback function, which is the control function where you're driving the car and you're reacting real time to the road in front of you and to the cars in front of you. So the true feedback is, is continuous. Okay. It's hard to tell where it, be, where, it be, where it begins and where it ends yes. because you are driving your car and you're changing your, your position as you're driving. And just to say that somebody sent you a letter and that's feedback, that's, I, I have to accept it. I mean, it's so popular now that it's hard to, to argue against it, but that's, that was not the origin of feedback, okay? The true scientific feedback is a continuous function where part of the information from the output gets fed back into the input. And then you have this circular loop, circular causality. And in these loops, you have adaptation, more like trial and error, okay? It's how you catch a baseball, okay? You are not computing the, the velocity or the speed of the baseball. You are uh, appealing to internal patterns and you are looking at the ball and you are doing this back and forth adjustment until you get yourself right below where the ball is going to fall. Okay. So many of the things we do everyday life are possible thanks to feedback, but the real feedback, like uh, raising a glass to drink some water or anything, you, this is how uh, Mr. Rosenbluth, a Mexican friend of Norbert Wiener, uh, discovered this notion of feedback. By He was studying homeostats with Canon and then talked to Wiener, and Wiener was trying to solve the problem of aiming the guns during the Second World War. So they, they, they connected, they became friends, and they discovered that... Uh, that you needed to take that Im output information and bring it into the input in order to have a better way of aiming the the guns at the German airplanes. Okay, so that's that's where feedback was born between these two guys that got together. Okay, so uh, feedback is is very important because all natural systems depend on feedback. Okay. And the, the popular use is, is misguided because if, if I do something wrong, I get negative feedback. And, you know, they tell me that, that it's a bad, negative is bad. No, but negative is corrective feedback. So it's yeah, good. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that is one very important uh, 
distinction that I want to make. I have a whole video about this, you know, so I'm not going to extend very much on this unless okay. you ask me more questions. Yeah, well, I'd like to comment on that a little bit um, is the fact of, uh, that's actually how I discovered you was on the direct, direct democracy. I had, you had a video and I had uh, just uh, created an episode, launched an episode. And um, just that fact of that real time, uh, you know, information coming in and out of the government. And one of the things I've, I've had a thought experiment that I've used before, and I think I've written about it before. I, uh, and it's about the fact of a bridge community communicating with a commuter. So a bridge is going to be rerouted sometime in the future, theoretically. And the commuters that are driving under that bridge are the ones that would be impacted by that potential rerouting. So wouldn't it make sense for that bridge to communicate with the person, the commuters driving under that bridge to let them know about pending legislation, which would affect their commute. So, and to invite them and not necessarily into a, uh, only a physical council meeting, but possibly a virtual council meeting that was highly related to their, you know, the feedback, the feedback of the bridge, and then the feedback from the commuter that would based on, because they're localized, they're the ones that are going to be affected by that community. And they're outside of actually necessarily not just the politician. It's, it's a relationship on dynamism that's in between the what's going to happen, the cause and the people that are going to be affected. And, you know, I, to expand on that, I want to, there's something I discovered with Stafford Beer in a comment about in the Chilean um, economy. I had read something that there was feed. One of the problems that he had with his systems was that he wasn't really getting live feedback from the workers within the Chilean economy. I have no idea if that's a fact, but it, it's kind of I'm painting this picture about the fact of the dynamism, uh, dynamism of 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 this this loop. Is that is that true with Stafford Beer that that affected his ability to keep on building the Cybersyn? Um, well, what what interrupted the the Cybersyn experiment was the the coup. Okay. Okay. And I, I spoke about the experiment with Stafford for many many days. We, I I think I know a lot about it. And one of the problems Stafford had and the whole group that was designing this operations room, you know, the, the tool they wanted was the operations room, but they only had one computer for the whole nation, for the whole experiment, okay? They didn't have any PCs or anything, they, were, they didn't exist. So they had a 360 IBM computer so then what they tried to do is they tried to improvise a real time by making, uh, they would map, let's say a certain uh, business or empresa, some, some production facility, and they would map it with some flow charts connecting them. And they had this system of triple indices where you, you measure the actuality, the capability, and the potentiality, okay? And all those numbers are then translated into a number between zero and one. So what they did is that, let's say this factory produced uh, 600 toys from a possible 1,000 capability. So the, the actuality index would travel as a 0.6, okay? So they got, they got 
rid of all the variety of the numbers and just concentrate it on give me what percentage of the capability are you are you actually performing your, what you're doing, okay? So that's the way they sort of improvise the real time, okay? But it, it never got off the ground uh, to a significant extent because they lacked time. All, all this planning and everything was done in about a year and a half, okay? Okay. So, so I also have a video about my response to some criticisms about the cyber sin. You, you can find one of video that talks about this. Oh, great. And okay. I explain exactly how far it went. And most importantly, that it's never been done again, ever. And this was in the early 70s. So 80s, 90s, 2000, it's almost 50 years now, okay? And there's no country that is doing this. There is no real-time management system in any corporation that I know of, okay? You have real-time for industrial processes, perhaps, okay, production processes, but not management as a whole, okay? And I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is the future because you could map the nation state and then you could map using the VSM model or better yet, what I call my universal management, which has a little some improvements to make Stafford's model easier to understand. Okay. And, and then I also have a video comparing what Stafford did and what I am adding so that you can see the difference and, and, and perhaps agree with me that I make it easier to understand. Gotcha. <clears throat> and then you could start with the nation state, then go to the economic sectors, and then inside, let's say, the service economy, you could do go down all the way to professionals, uh, doctors, uh, transportation, or whatever, you know? And That's you use the same map because the, 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 the way you map the living systems and organizations is based on Stafford's BSM. The same okay. map works for everything, okay? Interesting, interesting. So, so if you create one software that solves for one, uh, let's say two level, how you connect two different recursion levels, you're solving for, for every single government, every single business in the world. Yeah, you're, you're creating a framework uh, for yes. others to follow. That, yes, uh, I call it the... the uh, seven systemic functions, okay? Okay. And I have Stafford's five plus two more. You start, every, every corporation starts, and I know this as an attorney also, you start with an identity. When you ask permission to incorporate, you have to say, what, what are you about, okay? So you need an identity, you need the planning, you need an executive, you need the operations, you need somebody to coordinate, somebody to detect errors, and then what I call a security framework around that, okay? okay. And it's been very interesting to find out that Stafford never wanted to do the security thing because he didn't want to work for the military. But it mm -hmm. turns out that the only guys that have done Stafford's work, uh, the honors to Stafford's work, 
are organizing the SEAL teams and other uh, special forces, which need perfect coordination and perfect everything because those guys are, are um, exposing their lives every, every time they act, okay? Oh, that's interesting. So it's, okay. it's perfected. It, it, it was uh, adopted. It has been adopted by, by different uh, teams, uh, military teams. But only known to us in the recent years. Okay, and um, I'm so on this thing when you went back to Stafford on on uh, Chilean with, as you were describing feedback, it seems a little bit binary. And on that on that comment that I was I was uh, reading, I think they were talking about that. And this this talks about the SEAL team and everything else. Is that if it's a kind of an on-off, is it you're effective or you're meeting a capability metric or this or that? The individuals that are the components of this system, they're more nuanced of, of you know, really be honest with you, some people might not be feeling well that day. So that might be affecting their performance. Somebody might, um, yes. they might have a, 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 a manager they're dealing with that they're not in sync with, they're not aligned with and their values of how they would attach the project. So there's all these variables, you know, obviously the variables. Yes. So how- and, and they, and they, they, saw, they tried to solve this. They, they started solving this by, by creating some statistical programs well, would be reading the the indexes that I told you about coming in. Okay. And if you had a spike, maybe it was just a temporal thing. You know, somebody felt bad. But but you could. What the idea was to detect tendencies. Okay. So or detect step functions. Okay. When you increase the capability, uh, and and if you're uh, detecting a gradual increase, then you know you're going to run out of inventory before before uh, the eye can see, let's say, <laughs> before anyone notices. So Stafford was trying to create a system that could forewarn the managers of things that were going to happen according to the statistics of the production uh, and not just by hunches, okay? So it was very modern and, and in a way it hasn't, it hasn't been applied to management in general only to more specific processes, but real-time control is the future, okay? There's no doubt about it, okay? We need instant information. You have many accounting systems today where you are ringing some merchandise in the cash machine and in the, in the, um, in the department store, and it appears in the balance, okay, immediately, okay? It, 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 it's instantaneous. And Stafford was trying to, to convey that his model was the future and that if we adopted the language of cybernetics or cybernetic management instead of the traditional uh, conventional management, the whole uh, planet would, would do much better. It would be more responsive to the components of the system, more or less, is, is what it sounds like, because um, it, it seems like historically all the systems that have been built, whether it's business or government, is they're very top heavy and they're very centralized. And that's where I think that's I was very interested in cybernetics because I'm into decentralization. Um, and is well, there... he, 
he didn't describe this as centralization versus decentralization because the human body gets pretty centralized when you're in an emergency. Okay. Oh yes. So okay. so he was mimicking the the human body. The the VSM is was designed because of the layers of the brain and the complexity of the nervous system. And that's where you get the five components from the identity, the planning, and everything. Uh, we have this naturally built into our our nervous system. And this is why our bodies are so effective and why the human brain is the most wonderful control <laughs> instrument in, in the whole universe. It's the most complex to begin with. Yes. And... Um... Well, the I, I guess really when when I talk about the emergence, because you actually the first thing you shared with me was the emergent lie, um, that video, and I have added oh, that yeah, in, yeah. in the show notes. Um, just to let you know, all my references to your videos that I'm talking about, I have in the show notes, so people can dig in and and view themselves and really dig into it. Uh, so, and the thing that was interesting about the emergent lie. So obviously my program is the emergence, and that's the thing that really I have uh, that's driven me on this is that. Um, and, and it really was a little bit of a wake-up call. And you're, and you're talking about the emergent lie and the way that uh, systems of governments work is that in of itself, these uh, the, the representatives are emergent representations. But my thing is, is that in the emergence, just like that where I got the inspiration is from Stephen Johnson's book, The, uh, the Emergence, uh, The Connected Lives of Ants and Cities. I don't know if you've read that, but that's where I got my... Um, inspiration from and it's no, how I, I read it on the subject and 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 i can see why um, you know ants are governed by six seven eight or perhaps nine rules and from the interaction of those rules you get the anthill you know it emerges from following simple orders Yes. Well, on the, on the, with, with, in his book, they're talking about ant colonies that are able to uh, work with each other outside the dictates of the queen ant. So there are some, obviously some, some basic uh, uh, norms built in there, but they're, they use pheromone trails to be able to uh, yes. provide hints of where uh, it's good to bury your dead or, or find food sources to protect the food sources. Yes. So that's what I'm talking about as far as on the emergence is it is if you have these systems that are, I, I guess it's not to me personally about just the, the real time nature. It's the fact of of how it's built. And if you're able to give provide tool sets for people to allow their internal capabilities and internal purpose and internal potential to really surface into this system as opposed to being held back by the system then better systems will be created and that's the reason i wanted to bring you on board because of all the videos i was watching there was hints of of that and and uh but you go back into the little bit of the centralization thing but then it's more nuanced which is what i need i mean for what i'm thinking about i really need to actually engage with people like you to really flesh this out more fully so I've got one example that I've written in uh, that I had in one of my previous episodes. And uh, you also had that on um, defund or defund, defend the police, which is oh. a great episode. Beautiful. Um, so my thing is, is reform the police. So I don't believe in defunding the police um, um, and I defend the police, but I really only through reforming them. So I used an example in one of my episodes of technology being built to train 
police officers that is sourced by community members and stakeholders, the police officers. So, and you might know more about this than I do, as far as the way the technology and the police departments is acquired and trained and implemented is, you know, if this is something from a police union that finds a software that's going to help train police officers, then uh, that could be influenced. That that software in of itself to train the police officers could be influenced. So if it was a if if this technology was used and it came from the the community that was actually looking at these uh, protocols, training protocols with the police officers, because the things that I've actually researched, and again, I might be wrong, but is that I don't know how involved the actual stakeholders, the police officers and the community and um, uh, members are involved in their training. That's the feedback in cybernetics to me. It's that's the, the bringing it back into the system more wholly from within the actual stakeholders. So when you're talking about defend or defund the police, what, what are your thoughts on, on what I'm talking about there with reforming it uh, through a cybernetics approach? Yes. Well, the key idea of cybernetics and that Stafford identified as a key law of cybernetics is the law of requisite variety, okay? I don't know how much you managed to grasp or read about it. Yes. I, I have explained it in other videos and it is the prime importance. What this law the, the invented or discovered by Ross Ashby, who, who was a compadre or good friend of, of Stafford, according to what he told me, uh, the law says that in matters of control, only variety absorbs variety. I'm gonna put a very simple example. You have a little child, okay, uh, a little boy. His variety is the different things that he can do, some of which he can be in danger or get himself in, in trouble, okay? If, if the father is watching television and not looking out the window and not noticing that the child is running towards the pool, that the child might die. So the father does not have requisite variety because he is not paying attention. Mm. So requisite variety means being able to counteract everything the system, in this case, the little boy is doing by you doing something else, you as the control system. Okay, so for every misbehavior, you need some solution. Maybe five things that he can do that you don't want can be solved by putting him in a little pen. Okay, so that takes care of the variety, but only control variety has to absorb perturbance variety. Okay, now when you take this into society, and policemen, the equation between police and the people, let's say, being in order, the police have an almost impossible job, okay? Because there is probably 1,000 people for every policeman or perhaps 500, but it's like a lot to one, okay? So then you have to amplify the power of the policeman. How do you do this? You give him a gun, you give him gas, you give him a patrol car, you give him a siren, you give him radios, uh, you know, and and uh, and bulletproof vests, whatever. All those are amplifiers of control in order to have people abide by the law. But 
as the society gets more and more complex, policemen have a tougher and tougher job, okay? There's all these drugs in, on the street, okay? How do you control that? Or you don't want to control it? Some do, some don't. So you get in a mess very, very early. Now, the only way you could resign police, I say, is have to choose from the normal population, citizens that could do the, some sort of police work on their own, uh, private citizens that are authorized to intervene as if they were policemen. You know, you have to multiply the number of people on the on the right side of the law. It sounds very authoritarian. It sounds like a totalitarian government. But how do you meet the requisite variety? There is a lot of crime that goes unpunished. There are a lot of bad examples that are going unpunished. So it, it is very difficult job, but if you study it through the through the uh, variety equation, as I did in defund or defend, and as I do also in in defending the Second Amendment, it, at least it gives you a tool where you can talk about it and make some sense. Okay, it's it's not political. It should not be emotional. It's it's almost a mathematical problem. Okay. Yeah, well, let me, uh, okay, so uh, one of my other, in that episode, I talked about Jocko Willink, which you talked about the the uh, SEALs, and he hit on a, a Joe Rogan podcast talk about the fact that the police should have real-time training like they do in the military for handling all of these different situations, and, and see, my thing is, I come a, from the emergence as more of a understanding, to be able to understand the variety to be able to have the systems have a better understanding of where the variety is is injecting itself through the feedback into the system and and if you are are training the police just in my opinion um, and you're running through these potential situations every single day and those situations are coming from the community so the black communities from the the, the brown communities to where they have a more of an open dialogue of, of the types of situations that might erupt. If, if that's where I come, I always come at this from the technology, but from the human level is, yeah. it just seems to me that you're, if you're only arming more citizens, in my opinion, if, if, if it's, it's actually arming the citizens themselves with more understanding possibly of themselves or what the police are going through and the police of what the community is going through. That's that feedback well, that, that I feel. That, that, that works for the variety equation. That works for the, that's part of the amplifiers that you have to use. That's one possible solution. Okay. If people come to know about the law better, if they're better educated, you know, education is a huge amplifier. Okay. If people, if, those communities you talk about don't have access to good education. It's virtually impossible to ask them to behave correctly. Okay. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing, but the same thing on the police, though. So the police, I mean, do you agree with the fact that police should be able to be uh, more fully trained on the fact of what the communities are going through? So and and possibly to be then vetted a little bit more of how they would interact with and how they would act in situations that are, are difficult and they might be having a bad day. And how do they deal with bad days or they might have some pressures of of, of the varieties of these systems. And so I I see it as providers and consumers, you know, the stakeholders and, and the, the, the people and, and, and all these systems, there's exploiters. And it's from the, I could be in a relationship with a woman and I'm exploiting that relationship. I could be a police officer exploiting it. I could be a, a, a gang member exploiting it. So there's all these within the systems, there's these means of exploitation. And um, when the feedback is actually shut down where you're not allowing understanding of, of these components that are flowing through these systems, uh, you know, just like the police have, you know, have a better understanding of what's happening on the streets and the streets understand having a better understanding of what's going on with the police and Walmart having a better understanding of what's going on with their employees and employees with their managers. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, yes. it's, yeah. It, and that's where, and I, I did see in your video, uh, you were talking about that, but as a, in the eyes of the emergence, that's where I come from. It's, a, you know, I have something called CAPE. It's creativity, awareness, productivity, and empathy. And I feel that's the, the four pillars of the human condition that technology could tap into. And I think that empathy and that feedback loop is, a, is an important part of that, because if we have a better understanding of one another, I think that we will have a better shot at creating a better society. I mean, that's absolutely. really absolutely. I, I I don't disagree with that at all. It, it's part of the design of the amplifiers and the filters, and uh, and having the you know the the more intelligent a or more highly trained a policeman is, he will be much better as a regulator of the situation he's facing, okay? Yes, yes. If you have a policeman that acts only binary because of the color of skin the person in front, that's the worst case you can have, okay? Because if you're white, he'll give you... Look, I, I see this every day, okay? I live in a community where it's very obvious that policemen do not stop people like me, okay? Because we, we are the bosses, let's say. Yes. <laughs> and they will stop a guy with a little truck, okay? Yep. And that shouldn't be happening, okay? But, but then you have to look at the whole system, Paul. Yes. It, you have to look at the police, at the jails, at the judges, mm -hmm. at, the, uh, at the attorneys, uh, you know, the um, prosecutors. Every, the whole thing, you know, and, and the American system of law with all the bargaining that's going on, it's very inconsistent. It's like, like you're training people to, to become bad. You know, I have a paper that maybe you would like to read. It's a paper I prepared for, for the um, meeting we had at the Friends of Stafford. We meet, we're about a hundred guys oh, and we meet okay. every year. And I, I prepared one we had in, in Waterloo in, in Canada and uh, close to Toronto. And uh, I talk about the, the, how, how the law is very blind to probabilities, okay? 
and how when when the law is is blind it tries to do one things and it creates exactly the opposite effect okay yes let me give you the example i gave at at that meeting uh there's a this game on tv where you pick the three doors do you remember that game oh i yeah i can't quite remember the name of it but yeah i know exactly yeah, what you're talking the, about absolutely price is right by my tongue but yeah, anyway. price is right yep not 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 the price is right the one oh. of the doors where you you have a car and two goats oh yeah gosh darn it yeah i can't remember i know exactly what you're talking about though okay. well okay whatever the name the thing is most people will say that after the um the presenter opens one door with the goat they most people will say that the probability now is 50-50 okay you you remember that thing yes okay gotcha yep well obviously it's not true you should always change doors why because when you chose you chose one in three and now if you choose the other door you're going to get one one in two or perhaps even two thirds chance of of getting the the price and people don't understand this um uh, problem but i say okay let's assume instead of three dollars you had one million dollars okay and and you took your pick on the first one of one in one million and the guy opens all doors except one except <laughs> the other one yeah would you change or not yeah well obviously you, you would change why because he has been eliminating probabilities and now the chance that you had originally is one in one million and it seems like the other one has to be like 999,000 to one, okay? Yeah. So you would change, it makes it very obvious. Well, all that example is just to say what happens with, uh, I give the example of a crack house, okay? The laws are making it more and more difficult to go and see what's going on in a crack house, okay? You need witnesses, you need copies of the counterfeit bills, Or or, uh, or or you have to have uh, a policeman um, with uh, undercover. You know, it gets more and more tough. So what happens? That you have a crack house that can operate during one year knowing that they're safe because the justice system won't be able to get a court order for a search. Okay? Yes. Okay. So the law is not taking the probability if all the neighbors are telling you there's a cracked house there you could at least say let me take a look you know you know i know about the constitution but the constitution doesn't have requisite variety okay it doesn't if if you look at it through the eyes of cybernetics you're making a big mistake because in the end you are enticing people to deal with crack and the guys you want to protect are the are the guys that going to go to jail eventually okay anyway well that's that's uh, perhaps i'm not being very clear with the example but i'm going to send you the paper you okay. can read it oh yeah no i'd love to i love to and i i you know the monte monte hall problem the monte okay. hall problem. okay gotcha and um 
Well, and I and I I see on on that side of it, and that's where I'm kind of gathering on the cybernetic side of it. It does it does seem to favor a little bit on the on the system side. Uh, in your example, that there is an a, a assumption of there is a crack house and the the law of probabilities of being able to then find out what's going on inside the the, the crack house. So that's the measure of of the control, and uh, you would use uh, predictive technology to be able to uh, have a better idea. And that's again, from the, from that system side. So now, now on my side is from the emergence is that, okay, all the people inside the house are doing crack. Well, my side of that is create better systems to help those people to help them empower themselves. So they are not smoking crack. So therefore there's not as much of a reason for the system to have to employ predictable. And I agree. Predictable. Uh, and, and I agree, you know, people to me, people that use drugs is because they have some of the problem. Okay. You know, the, the, the fact about people coming from Afghanistan and all those, People that come back to stable families and being loved once again uh, after they come for more, those guys have no problem in readapting. But those that are left alone have a big problem. Yeah, and that's where in my intro for for my podcast, I talk about I believe the number one problem that we have in the world is is mental health because I think that almost everything else comes from that is that you have a, a police officer that is not as, as in tune with another human being um, where there's 98% of them are, but the 2% or whatever percentage there is, is that those bad, those bad apples can then create a, especially in this hyper-connected world we live in, create um, more chaos. Uh, so it's the elements. But, okay. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but then, but then, but then you have another problem that Stafford uh, described as pathological autopoiesis. What does that mean? It means that the police corporation becomes a system that protects itself against foreign influences. And it will cover for the bad apples and the police, okay? And, and that's a problem. Because yes. one bad policeman can ruin the whole prestige of the whole corporation. Absolutely. Okay? But they will cover for each other because they are always, all of them know that they are always at this border where at, at the edge of chaos, okay? A bad decision in a, a search or, or a visit to some family uh, dispute and, and they don't know if the guy's going to go crazy and pull a gun on them, you know. So they're always on the brink of disaster. So then as a unit, they protect themselves, okay? Yes. How do you fix that? How do you fix that? Well, and that's, and actually I wrote this when I was preparing for this. I just wrote the words, chaos creates environments for control. And that really does and and i my thing is how do you fix that is that's that's the thing i want to really start focusing on is not the isms and the theories is is 
very specific pieces, uh, just like the police. I mean, one of the things I'd like to do is I would like to interview a um, uh, some way in a police department and in a technologist and a member of the community and just, you know, and find the best representation of that and then start to dig into that. I mean, really start to dig into uh human nature, human nature gets in our way because we are humans. And yes. the thing is, way that I feel that technology has been built here, especially recently, is that it's kind of, it's preying on our lowest common denominator, which is creating that chaos, uh, uh, which is then, you know, that chaos, it's, it's then creating these environments that, well, you can't handle yourself, so you need these controls. And, you know, when you're in your one uh, video talking about government, um, you had actually said uh, something that I really liked is that uh, um, government is uh, where is that uh, government is communication. And when you're yep. really talking about breaking it down of the way that the, uh, the Congress is, has a direct line in with funding. Oh and, yeah. That's, that's, that's an emerging line. That's a big problem. And yeah. we're seeing it right now. And, but, but that's the same thing that you just talked about with the police. I mean, there's, I think there's a, there's a, there's a common theme here that I think can be explored that technologies can be experimented with, uh, that, and one of the things I think it was true is, is that experimentation, you got to experiment because some things are not going to work. Um, right. For instance, I wanted to bring this up with you. I don't know if you're familiar with what Tim Berners-Lee is doing with a solid framework. No, um, I'm not. Okay, so they're building, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, who built the World Wide Web, is now yes. trying to build a better version of it that's decentralized and more resonant. And I've been following his team for the last two years and on GitHub, and, and, and I've actually met Tim Berners-Lee with just a quick meet and greet and some of the members of his team I've communicated with. And, and uh, they're doing something in Flanders, Belgium. And uh, uh, I had written to their team because I saw a study that they were creating technology to interact with, the, to, to connect the citizenry of Flanders, Belgium with the government services. And I had posed the question through an essay, could you turn that into a vehicle for direct democracy where people are actually engaging with legislation directly? Mm -hmm. And one of their uh, key members of the study got back with me and said, absolutely. And and they, he said he would forward his study to uh, the, the government in Belgium and my essay to the to just kind of comment on it. Um, I just found out recently that they actually have their, their actually that study has now turned into a real life uh, program that they're implementing. Wow. To that's right. And so that's something I, you know, wanted to kind of, and I'll, I'll email you as well is that, you know, these real time things where you're bringing in, it's almost like you're trying to go around the end game of what the politicians and the, and the representatives are, is that you, you're, you're allowing people to see a little bit of the sausage making and to open that feedback loop. So, uh, you know, uh, representative democracy is failing really badly. Okay. Yes. It was invented when you didn't have any efficient ways of communicating. Communication was traveling. Okay. And, and it's, it's very, um, it's amazing to see that the Congress still works like it was designed 240 years ago, okay? It, it, because now the, the COVID crisis has, has uh, shown that you don't need the buildings. You, you could have a Congress from home, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're uh, drafting new legislation, you could do it from home. And if you're drafting legislation, 
you should have the opinion of those that really know about the subject and not just anyone because Congress becomes a bottleneck, okay? Because they can't know everything. Exactly. So this is why I see that the recursive structure of the nation state, what I call the cybernetic state, eventually we'll have only experts dealing with transportation, only experts dealing with uh, agriculture, only experts dealing with the environment, you know, you would have a Congress for every every important sector of the economy, and 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 the the people working in those areas would be the ones doing their own rules, like self-organizing systems. Okay, and then all those systems would work together to produce the best output for a society. So, in 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 my view, we would have like. 15, 17, perhaps not more than 20 uh, congresses for the different sectors of the economy, including government as, as one sector, and, um, and let them self-organize using feedback, better measurements, real time, and all that. Yeah, and then I, so that is super interesting to me. And, and here's the thing about, uh, uh, the experts. Okay. So I want to kind of dig in on that. The expert is what is an expert? Is it somebody that just has a Harvard education um, that can afford it? Or is it possibly, and that's what I'm talking about. Is well, you, can be the, you can be an expert consumer. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. hundred percent. That's, that is so important to me being able to yes. bring that level of feedback into government. So I can't agree with you more. So let's say you could have a group of 30, which is what Stafford planned for the Syntegrity effort. I don't know if you read about it, but no, it's no, a protocol for okay. collective decisions made of 30 people. So you could have half of them consumers and half of them the experts and let them let them sort it out through a Syntegration effort, which is a collective protocol for uh, creating uh, intelligence. Yes. And, you know, on that consumer side of that, and that's something that I've, uh, uh, I'm actually doing a couple of episodes coming up on the, I call the marginalized consumer, um, is there's pockets of, of people. I always feel that there's, there's people out there that are way more intelligent and way more in tune with life that necessarily only rise to the top. There's, there's these just untapped gems in society of, and it could be a, a, a high school student. It could be a, a, a 75 year old janitor um, who's Absolutely. lived his life reading books. You know what I mean? Or her, you know, or, yeah. or a 45 year old welfare mother. That's just brilliant. I mean, you know, from the inside, that's, that's where I, that's what the emergence to me is, is, is being able to, to find these. Because, because what you're saying is another way of saying those people have requisite variety, okay? Yes. Oh, that's they great. Know, I like that. They, like know that. The sub, they know the subject, okay? I'm getting and their that opinion, okay. if you get 30 people with diverse uh, opinions, but all of them sort of like experts in their own, in, their, in that field, you'll get a more intelligent decision than you're getting right now from congressmen or senators that are being, uh, that have to go out and, and ask for money in order to reelect themselves, okay? And, and you, you bring in all the lobbyist groups, okay? Which is what you don't want. 
Exactly. And, uh, see that, that just makes so much sense to me. You, you finally just got through to me on the requisite variety. I, you put that in a term that I completely understand because, and, and my only thing is, is as long as it's not dependent on the amount of money you have or status, then I'm completely good with it because then that allows people to be able to then surface within to be more powerful. Well, money with doesn't necessarily have requisite variety. Okay. Yeah. Not by throwing money at a problem, you get requisite variety. You don't. Not necessarily. Yeah. And I got to tell you another video, obviously I've, I've watched a couple of your, your videos. Uh, we can, we can kind of go on this one real quick. Taming capitalism and wall street, the legacy of Lynn a stout. Wow, was I impressed with her, and so sorry to hear that she's passed away recently. Yeah, I, I I I follow her for quite some time, and then I I I didn't for some time, and then when I came back to her, she she had died. Oh man, she seemed pretty brilliant to tell you the truth, uh, and that's a nice pivot here. So we're talking about you know she comes up with a, this idea about shareholder primacy and and the shareholder value myth, and I haven't read her book yet, but I read her paper that was the intro to the book that was very interesting to me. And um, so we're talking about this requisite variety. Let's stay on that. And let's talk about as that relates within these corporations and shareholder, uh, because that's where I see. I'm so glad I talked to you because this whole requisite variety thing is, is just a light bulb for me, because think about that, the way that the amount of control shareholders have over corporations versus how they used to in the fifties and the sixties. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, again, I, I I even made a film where I point out that the the most important problem we have as humanity is not the global warming or the climate change or whatever you want to do or whatever you want to say. The problem is systems, organizations that are so large that they be, they have they develop their own goals and they don't care about the stakeholders or 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 anything so you have the managers running those corporations and they are trying to obey the need for the to inflate the stock price and uh, see the returns for the next quarter and that sort of thing, which is like very anti-systemic, okay? And, and that's where a lot of the problems come. You have uh, many, many big systems uh, absolutely out of control, whether it's the FBI, the CIA, or, or the courts, or the legislature, big, big systems that are totally out of control. They're autopoietic in the self. They are self-generating. Okay. They develop purposes of their own. Okay. Irrespective of what the stakeholders or the citizens really need. Okay. That is problem to me, problem number one. And it has to do with requisite variety in the sense that humans are demanding more and more goods and all the time, and you need companies to provide them with some of those goods. But if you let the, let's say the masses, the mass of consumers 
dominate the feedback function, then those corporations are going to be wasteful and they're going to be, you know, out of sync with the environment and everything. Why? Because the consumer is not well educated. Okay. The, the consumer demands a lot of things that are um, not good for the environment. Okay. Like for instance, all the packaging that we have, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not good, but it's like, you have no choice. Okay. So learning about requisite variety helps explain a lot of the problems that, that we're going through because it, it makes it, it learning the cybernetics is a language that is very efficient to explaining the problems with systems. And it's really too bad that people think that cybernetics is about computers and not about control systems and living systems as ourselves. Yeah, and that does seem, uh, and that's what well, drew, drew me to this because, you know, I, I plan on having my podcast for a while and I want to grow it. And I would like to actually have cybernetics as a part of that because, especially after talking to you, that's why I really was just chomping at the bit to talk to somebody in the know. And I didn't really realize that you actually were friends with Stafford Beer. So that's a very nice, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's we a, were very good friends for, for since I, I met him in Toronto in 81 till he died in 2002. And I've watched countless videos of him and, and amazed at that level of intellect. Incredible genius. And, uh, but are there, and you know, the, the thing is, is there roles of cybernetics as specific ways to it, it, it really, I see the emergence as my role on this over the next several, several years is to find these theories and, find these individuals and these influencers and marrying them up with the technology so we can really start to build these things and experiment with them. Uh, I have a perfect example of, of somebody, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but I'm really struck by her. I haven't met her yet and haven't chatted with her, but her name is Vivian Ming. She runs Socos Labs. Are you familiar with her at all? Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, well, she has a lab and then they don't exclusively deal with AI, but uh, she, she, I've, I've listened to a couple of her podcasts and it's something I'm going to try to get her on the show in the future if I can. But uh, when you talk about probability, uh, she builds tools to, that are uh, steeped in artificial intelligence, but is to augment human communication, not to replace it. She's big on that. And, mm -hmm. uh, she did something with a company called Guild. And I used to be a recruiter. I've recruited over all my history, probably eight, 10 years. So she had built a tool to identify patterns in individuals as candidates and align them with uh, employers. And, uh, you know, I, what, the, the thing, and, and actually she was showing that uh, they were able to prove quite a bit of success in this when the recruiters would use this tool. But by default, a lot of these, the recruiters that were part of this study would just go back to old school ways of looking at resumes and penalizing people who had two months gap in their, in their history, which is I've been a recruiter and a lot of them do that. And it's just, it's terrible um, because there's human, the, 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 the possibility of labor aligning it with the employer is, unbounded when you could really tap into these things. But right now it's, it's not even showing up in my, in the radar as I concern the way I feel is it's, it's just so underserved. Um, so when you talk about all these 
ideas of being able to grab probability of how consumers are engaging with products, employees are engaging with employers, um, um, citizens are engaging with their government. I want to really start talking more about these specific tool sets and these people that are building these tools, the Vivian Mings, the Tim Berners-Lee, the Ben Gertzel, who does decentralized, who's building decentralized uh, artificial intelligence. So I wanted to kind of get in front of cyberneticians and, and maybe let them know of these things that maybe they can in the future think about it and possibly reach out and find some synergy and, and you know, really start to build these things. Well, it would, it would be great if we could do something about it. Yeah. Okay. So um, um, now, do you have any questions for me at all? I mean, I, I, we can start to wrap this up here. We've been on for about an hour. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to know where you live and 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 uh, how did you? Well, you told me already a little about how you bumped into these ideas. Yeah, but well, I uh, I'm, I live in Avondale, Arizona. So, and I'm a full time employee. I I do marketing and information systems and help with sales for a four motorcycle dealerships. So it's part of a dealership group. I've been doing that for the last seven years. And um, I had uh, tried to build my own technology with a friend of mine, Tim McLean called Quired, Q-U-I-R-E-D, um, to build a framework. Uh, and it was just a failure. And it was because of me, because I couldn't really identify what it was. Uh, I've been, I'm 56 years old. So I've been chasing, I've been chasing this idea of the emergence for about 20 years. And um, I couldn't find out what it was. I couldn't articulate what this grand notion I had. I wanted to build technology. And uh, uh, I ran across a book, Stephen Johnson's book, The Emergence. And, and really that just started to formulate um, more of a uh, concrete idea of what it is because it had been haunting me. Uh, you know, it actually affected my pursuit and career because I'm not a, I just have a problem with centralized control and anything. I've, I've recruited for very large corporations before and agencies. And um, the time I would thrive as a recruiter is when I was able to build a relationship with a candidate and build a relationship with the hiring manager and make a connection. All this crap that was involved in the in-between of hiring metrics and interviews and submittals, I just had such a problem with, but I've always been attracted to finding value in people and aligning them with with other things in the world, whether it's good services or... or, or well, other. value is a, a very important a component of identity. So if you get that right, you are, you've done 90% of the problem solved. Yep. Yep. Well, and you know, I want to have this as an ongoing conversation and maybe we can chat sometime in the future and I can continue. Anytime, anytime you want, I'll be here. Uh, just let me know in advance and we can talk again anytime yeah, you want. Absolutely. And then um, go ahead and send me that paper because I, I, anything you send me, trust me, <laughs> as you know, I, I will dig into it. I'm, I'm very interested in it. So um and uh, well, Javier, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you so much for coming on The Emergence. No, thank you for your interest in these things. They are very important, I think. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll just talk thank to you, you later. Okay. Goodbye. I'll send okay. you that. All right. Bye. Bye.